Magic Numbers, this is episode number 30 and uh, today we have early bird special or why do you want to be on the plane and uh, in the seminar I'm going to chat about the advantage of being on the plane, I'll try to maybe visualize it in a better or worse way, uh, explain to you what does it mean the advantage, how does it materialize, when does it materialize and also I'm going to speculate about is it always advantageous to start the game uh, to be on the play and if not and it is not because I did find a subset of decks carefully selected where um, being on the play is actually beneficial. How can you figure it out for your deck if you should be on the draw or on the play? And the uh, card focus this week is going to be Azusa's many journeys and just how many journeys must one make um, to be successful, especially on the draw, because why not uh, do something that is a topic of the seminar as well. But as always, before I'll start with my preamble. So basically me blabbing up for five minutes about something that I have strong feelings. And you know that in the magic world, everyone has strong feelings. Before I start that, I actually wanted to say that I was super chuffed to hear the organized play announcement this um, um, afternoon. I think that um, it went in a quite a desired direction. Um, uh, I was I was quite thrilled because I didn't expect much and I got something that was actually quite happy. What I do like about it is that they seem to be go for a simple structure with aspirational motives. So basically you can start locally, you can go up and there is a clear path of how to get from, uh, from your LGS uh, to Pro Tour and World Championships, which is great because I thought that the previous structure was just overly complicated. And not even very, very invested players knew how to get from nothing to um, to Proter. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm super happy about uh, how it uh, turned out. And I'm also excited now uh, for the announcement related to the digital play because I don't live in a very busily populated area. So I think that for me, it's always going to be long travels if I want to go to bigger tournaments. So I'm quite happy to see what are the options of uh, digital ways of getting on the Pro Tour and then I can happy, happily fail in doing so. But uh, today's preamble is about um, something that we do a lot in Magic. So we use heuristics and very often they have no data backup, but they function. And I get a lot of questions about those kind of things because uh, uh, well, some people don't trust those heuristics, uh, some people overly trust those heuristics and don't, don't know when not to use them. Um, and I get lots of questions like, can you analyze that? Can you analyze this? Uh, do you think that this is true? And people ask for data. And yes, you can probably find a way of analyzing most of the things, but unfortunately those things take a lot of time. And um, well, there are several people that do that, but not that many as you would expect. So for the time being, I think that it's still very valuable and true what people uh, that develop those heuristics uh, established, because those heuristics maybe are not based on formal analysis of the data, but it's based on years and years of experience of people playing and figuring out mechanisms of the game. Before 17 lands existed, 
17 lands was the um, number of lands that was recommended to be played in uh, in a limited deck. And it still is, I think, even, um, uh, even in best of one. So... Um, this has been developed without um, without a bunch of data which could confirm that uh, observation. This was based on fundamentals of maths and uh, probability theory, which is a sort of analysis, but it's not uh, as uh, confirmed in the actual uh, results as, as, as the current versions of it. So I think that, first of all, heuristics with no ba data backup, um, especially when they are recommended by people that we trust in the community, can be very valuable and can be very true. But also I would say that um, if you know some heuristics that uh, you were always curious about, um, analyzing them is pretty much low hanging fruit for analyses. And uh, lots of my early content was actually looking at those very commonly um, assumed heuristics and uh, trying to formalize the analysis of them. And I have to say that I don't remember a single one where I uh, found something that would be counterintuitive uh, uh, to towards the common knowledge in the magic society. So maybe maybe my analyses are uh, useless in that way that I, I I don't discover new things. I just confirm the older ones. But um, this is the same thing that we have in biology that there is a lot of theory work, and um, very often that theory work is never confirmed by any experimentation, and still. It sort of works and is uh, accepted and um, and uh, uh, it's just very hard to design experiments when you can confirm them. And I think that for some heuristics in magic, it's going to be the same situation as, as, as for the ones in biology. Uh, we're going to hang to those common truths, uh, use them successfully, and we won't have to have a formalized ways of analyzing them because in the end, if it works, it works. There is a difference between theoreticians and practitioners. Practitioners are very good in applying heuristics and they don't need a big rationale behind it. So that was my preamble for this week. And with this, we go to looking at one of the common heuristics is that being on the play is very beneficial, especially in the modern way of designing sets. Um, maybe in some olden days, um, there were some sets where actually getting that extra card from being on the draw was uh, beneficial because it was painfully slow as a format and the card quality was pretty low. But with modern sets, um, general heuristic is you want to be on the play. So, okay, you want to be on the play, but why? And in the early game, I think that there's like three main advantages of being on the play and one disadvantage. At first advantage is mana advantage. You get to spend your mana first because you play the lands first and you have more mana um, if you continue dropping the lands. And we know, and I've actually shown that uh, with numbers, that spending more mana than the opponent uh, did in a game is a massive predictor of um, whether you're going to win the game or not. So you start with an intrinsic advantage if you construct your deck correctly and you start, then that mana advantage and being able to spend more is going to um, result in more games won. Second of all is the presence advantage. You have the chance of being on board first. You have uh, advantage of playing your two drop first. You have an advantage of playing your three drop first. And because of that, you have your creatures having no summoning sickness earlier than the opponent. You can decide whether you want to attack or stay back um, but you have a lot of decisive power because you were on the play. 
And third is sort of uh, linked to that, you have a tempo advantage, which means that if you have this early presence on the board, um, then you can stop playing threats and starting controlling the board of your opponent because they are under pressure. It's sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's going to be a reference to very olden days, but it was like with standstill decks when you play a one drop and then you play standstill, uh, which was the enchantment whenever uh, a player plays a spell, uh, the opponent must uh, uh, can draw three cards. So basically because you played a creature earlier and that creature was presenting some sort of a clock, um, it's your opponent that most of the time had to break that um, uh, standstill and you got three cards out of the deal. So uh, it was quite beneficial. Now there is one very trivial disadvantage. Uh, being on the play means you skip your first draw step. And that means that in um, that the opponent will have access to more cards as the game progresses. And this disadvantage is not so important early, but it can be uh, quite crucial later. And I think I showed that also a couple of times before that um, as the game progresses, that extra card will uh, become possibly important. Um, early game, it's not that important because usually you will have um, things to play. If you, again, built your deck properly or drafted properly, you should have things to be played on turn two and turn three. Um, and maybe you even have a choice of what to play so uh, uh, you don't have to go flat out. But at certain stage, you are going to run out of cards and then that one extra card is presenting some sort of advantage for the opponent. So uh, uh, basically, there are more pluses on being on the play and there's a small minus. Uh, but if there's a small minus, there might be a way of abusing that. But now let's look at... Yes, that's what I was saying. Mana, presence, and tempo advantage promotes early game presence, early game plays, early game uh, activity. Uh, card disadvantage, um, uh, well, if you're on the draw, it promotes you slightly in the late game. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Okay, so let's look at the basic uh, on the play advantage in uh, Amigawa. Uh, where is my trusty laser pointer? Trusty laser pointer activated. Um, basic on the play advantage in terms of win rate is three percentage points. So uh, 17 lens users, they win 57% uh, of their games when they are on the play and 54% of their games when they are on the draw. And usually, um, 17 lands data does not allow you to analyze your opponent's decks, but we can analyze their um, on the play and on the draw win rates because obviously it's the inverse of uh, of, of, of the 17 lands users' um, uh, win rates. Obviously, 17 lands opponents can be 17 lands users themselves, and uh, it happens some of the time. So you have to keep that in mind that there is a 17 lands opponents means both 17 lens users and not 17 lens users. So uh, it's a bit complicated there, but they have a 40, 46% win rate um, on the play and 43% win rate on the draw. Uh, and obviously, because we know 17 lens players have a way over 50% uh, win rate, you can normalize those two. So basically you can take a generic arena user data by taking 17 lens users and the non-17 lens users and, and, and recalculating it, it will be like a generic arena user will win 51.5% of the games 
on the play and 48.5 on the draw. So again, we keep this three percentage points difference. This is the sort of like advantage that you're getting. It's not that much, but it's quite a lot because um, if you want to, you know, win as many games as possible, um, being heavily disadvantaged on the draw, um, even slightly disadvantaged on the draw is something that you want to take into account and actually be resilient against it. Um, so for most of this analysis, I'm going to look at the um, differences in the win rates on the play and on the draw based on the length of the game, because that's I think where the most interesting data lies in here. And just before I do that, I wanted to show you that um, for most of the games, um, the the number of the games that end on turn, let's say six, and uh, when you were on the play or on the draw, is roughly even. So um, the one on this graph means that there has been exactly well the same um, number of games when you were on the play or on the draw, uh, and then uh, the axis means how long the game was. What we can see is that short games are biased towards being on the play, and this has something to do with um, um, with the win rates of the 17 lens users. So basically, 17 lens users don't lose games early very frequently, and 17 lens users win quite a lot of games uh, when they are on the play. Um, and that makes it slightly biased here. So basically, if all throughout from, turn, from games that end on turn six to games that end on turn 27, it's more or less even ratios of those uh, being on the player on the draw. There is a slight advantage of being on the um, of being on the um, play when the games are uh, like five, four, three, two turns long, uh, and that's something to keep in mind. Just uh, that when I look at the data, you cannot assume that there are even numbers of being on the player or on the draw in those uh, very short games. So, because we know that most of those uh, games, independent of their length, uh, have equal uh, size numbers, I can actually compare the wins on the play and wins on the draw. And by that, I can show you the advantage of being on the player or on the draw. Oh, wait a second. That's, um, I'm going I'm to I'm pause it for a second because I need to change one thing. Something, something, something went wrong there. Hmm. Oh no! Do I feel like changing it? No, I'm not feeling like changing it. I'm just going to go on with it. But uh, the 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 legend is flipped for some reason. I don't know why. <clears throat> but um, but basically, basically, uh, blue dots are being on the play and red dots are being on the draw, which will make it a bit more complicated for you to, to grasp it uh, when you're watching. But uh, uh, something went wrong with the Excel. I was changing some things and probably it flipped the series. Um, so you can see that um, for short games, there is a big advantage in the numbers of games that you are on the play. And that's to be expected. 
if you're winning on the play, you're winning the early games. So basically the distance between this dot and this dot is the advantage of how many more games um, that were on the play were won. So you see turn five, turn six and turn seven up to turn eight, you have uh, uh, advantage of um, being on the play and you win many more games uh, by being on the play. And then it flips from turn nine and from nine, 10, 11, 12 and 13, um, and then the difference is pretty small, but still, uh, still there. It's more advantageous uh, to be on the draw in, in 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 games that last that long. So basically, what you can say is that if you have the being on the play advantage, it will materialize in the first seven turns. If you um, if you survive till then, you get a slight advantage of um, um, of being on the draw. And later that basically evens out because um, the one card advantage in the game when you drew 20 cards becomes uh, much less pronounced. Now, this graph is a bit awkward to read, not only because I uh, messed up the uh, legend, but also because, um, but also because um, you have to compare in your head the distance between those two points. So what I did in the next slide is I basically show you how does it look like when you look at only the difference between being on the play and being on the draw. Um, so everything that is over zero here is uh, games uh, that were won on the play more than on the draw and everything that is below um, uh, is games that were one more on the draw than on the play. And you can see this looks like sort of like a, uh, like a heart rate monitor. You get this big spike uh, towards turn eight and then it drops and you have advantage of being on the draw that uh, lasts roughly till uh, games that last up till turn 16. And from turn 16, there is absolutely no difference between the uh, uh, on the play or on the draw advantage. So once you cross once you cross the game length of 16 turns, you basically, uh, uh, when games when you basically, it doesn't matter when you were on the play or on the draw. So turns three to turns eight, advantage of being on the play, turns nine to turn 16, advantage of being on the draw, basically. And you can see that the advantage of being on the draw is also much steeper. So uh, you win so many more games in those first eight turns. And then the advantage of being on the draw is there, but it's much smaller um, because, uh, well, because because you want you, you already lost so many games to early aggression or something like that. Um, and then we can compare also the win rates on the play and on the draw from only seventeen lens user. This is so. Um, so basically, here we see that um, like first interesting point, and that's uh, it's a small data glitch maybe, but it, no, I, I wouldn't call it a glitch. It's a small data point, but it's actually very interesting to say, to see that 17 lens users have an around 86% win rate if the game ended on turn one, whether they were on the play or were they on the draw, which means that people who use 17 lens don't give up on turn one, while people that are the opponents of them uh, and here we can quite convincingly say, and also are not 17 lens users because otherwise they would be in this data. Often just look at their opening hand and uh, concede. Now, 
the number of games where concession was on turn one is not huge, but we're still talking about hundred games, uh, hundreds of games, or, or close to a thousand games um, um, in the six hundred thousand game data set. So there, <laughs> there is one conclusion there. Just don't give up on turn one. Let the game play. Maybe you're going to lose seventy percent of those games, but just play it on and 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 don't give up. At Definitely not on turn one before you see what opponent has. Maybe they are mana screwed as, as badly as you um, and there is no point in giving up. But it's such a weird result that um, the, there is an 86% uh, win rate on the draw um, uh, in the games that end on turn one that uh, I thought it would be nice to show it. Because normally, you know, I would trim those early points because they are not that important, I guess. Um, what we see is that... Um, Games that end very early on the after that it disappears. So um, it, there is a specific group of players that will give up on uh, turn one just um, uh, watching. It might be something to do with lo lost connection. Um, it might be to do something with the mobile, as someone in the chat noticed. I didn't actually think about it, but of course, when you play on the mobile, you don't have access to seventeen lands, so you will not be registered as a seventeen lands user. It might be that mobile loses connection and then people lose the game by proxy on turn one. Uh, interesting to think about. Uh, I don't know if there is any physical way that we can disentangle it, but um, you know, interesting. Ooh, maybe that explains the higher win rate of 17 lens users um, in, in general, that basically, um, Basically, uh, it's because people play on the mobile against 17 lens users and lose due to disconnect. Um, but from turn two, the data is quite consistent um, uh, with the patterns. So when you're on the play in the first turns, you get around 80% win rate. Then it starts at turn um, four, dropping to 75, 70% on turn five. 65 on turn six. This is all the advantage that you get from being on the play. And 17 lens users also have a pretty low win, uh, um, uh, win rate in short games that they started on the draw, which is also makes sense. If you're on the draw, you're probably not going to be super aggressive. Um, still, they win like around 40% of their games uh, from turn two, three, four, and five. And then it starts slowly and steadily climbing. So when uh, games that end on turn six and you were on the and 17 lens users is on the draw, that goes to 45% win rate, 50% um, um, when, uh, when it's turn seven, and then it goes to 55%. And at turn nine, there's the crossover between those two lines. So um, basically at Games that end at turn nine, people that were on the draw actually win slightly more than people that were on the play. It's a very minimal difference of like one percentage point, uh, but it's there. And that difference continues um, uh, roughly to the turn 16, uh, as you can guess from the previous graph. There is a slight advantage of being on the draw. So those games that last between uh, nine and 16 turns, you get a slight advantage and then becomes a bit chaotic, but more or less even. You have to keep in mind that the sample sizes on those uh, super long games that go over 20 turns is, uh, are quite are quite small, so um, you might expect more variance in there.
so there's a question from the chat. Um, I find the difference between play draw win rates in lengths two to four surprising. At that point, it feels like most games that end before then should be because of unplayable hands, which is independent of being on the play draw and in fact being on the draw lets you see an additional card. I think that there is a part of that, but there is also a part of that um, if you have a less playable hand and you uh, fall behind very early, you're much more likely to lose. And if you're on the draw and you have a not so playable hand, um, if you're on the play and you have the not so playable hand, you still are not going to be overwhelmed so quickly because um, uh, you still had this advantage on being able to play your lands first. Your opponent's creatures are going to be potentially, you know, blocked by one later. Um, like if they play two drop, three drop, and you play a four drop on um, on your fourth turn, you still can sort of defend with it if they don't have a removal for it, so you can stop that kind of attack. But if you are... Um, on the draw and, and they play two drop, three drop, and then you have to wait for your four drop, that might be a bit too late for you to uh, to get back. Uh, most games end, uh, that's another question, most games end um, uh, between those um, uh, turns eight and nine. Actually, you can see it from this graph. That's, that's, the, that's where the most games end. So between turn seven and turn 10, and the average is slightly over nine. Um, so yeah. Okay, here we have the win rate. Then, of course, we can look at the archetypes because we looked at this data from the uh, earlier um, graph and we are looking at amalgam of every single possible type of the deck that there is um, in Kamigawa format. But, of course, not every archetype was made equal. And here I only look at the two-color archetypes, potentially with Splash, because I took the Splash um, uh, decks that Splash also into account. And we have uh, very different pictures. So, for instance, blue-red is, I think, the most lopsided in, in, in terms of the archetype. Um, and uh, their difference is between 57% win rate uh, on the play and 51% on the draw. So there is a 6 percentage points difference between, um, between, um, between being on the play and on the draw. So this is the deck where you definitely want to, uh, want to be uh, on the play. And uh, similar things are with red, green, and white, red. So but basically, most of the red combinations, actually all the red combinations are quite lopsided in terms of uh, wanting to be on the play. And that, I guess, has something to do with how red plays in this format. Because white, red, we also have like 5.5 percentage point difference. Uh, red, green, we have around, uh, again, 4.5% difference and around 4 percentage point difference with black, red. So uh, all these decks are quite lopsided. Then um, we have some decks that are sort of in the middle, around three percentage points difference, like blue-green, uh, blue-black, and uh, white-blue. And we have two decks where actually the difference is really small, and that's white-black and black-green. So the sort of controlling combination um, uh, that include black uh, in this format. So. Um, um, there is 1.1 percentage point difference uh, being on the player on the draw in white-black and 0.8 only in black-green. So from this data, we see that in any color combination in this format, you are still slightly advantaged uh, by being on the play, but it's some of those archetypes 
the difference is pretty small, which makes me think that in those color combinations, there's going to be a subset of decks that actually have a higher win rate when they're on the play. Now, from saying that there might be a subset of decks um, that can actually benefit from being on the draw to actually being able to estimate how do those decks look like, there is a big uh, uh, gap. So uh, what I tried in this analysis is to bridge this gap. Uh, and hopefully you will see that there are some results that are quite interesting. So <clears throat> my first thought, and actually we're going to go through my whole thought process at the end of the seminar because uh, a card of the week is, is, is sort of uh, doing that. But my general thought would be that, okay, so clearly some cards are much better on the uh, play and some cards are much better on the draw than others. And, you know, I would guess that some sort of aggressive, fragile um, cards are better on the play. You know, like a 1-1, one, one, a 2-1 is going to be great on the play, not so great on the draw because it gets um, uh, out-competed very quickly. And uh, some cards like defensive stabilizers are going to be better on the draw. Um, and, well, what can... What what can I... Um, um, uh, what can I um, uh, basically come up with? Sorry, uh, there was another... Okay. Um, no, there was a question. If 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 all the decks are uh, advantageous, uh, ad advantaged on, uh, by being on the play, uh, why does being on the draw get to win at some game lengths? Because of course, every archetype will be across multiple. Um, uh, it not every game in, in one archetype will will end at a particular length. So uh, if you play a blue green deck, you will uh, end some games on turn four or five and end some games on turn 15. And uh, basically the trick, I guess, in playing a good blue-green deck is try to make sure that the deck lasts till this um, uh, uh, mid-range stage of the game. But if you're on the draw, not always you're going to get there because you might be overwhelmed by some hyper-aggressive red deck, for example. So uh, uh, these graphs sort of sum up the whole totality of the games and not only focus on particular game length. Um, okay, so I did a simple analysis by basically trying to calculate which cards are particularly better um, on the play and which cards are particularly less bad on the draw. And um, well, to do so, I basically calculated the win rates if the deck was if the card was in the deck in at least one copy. What is the average of your uh, being on the play, being on the draw? Um, and uh, here we have the cards that get, get the most biggest boost when you're being on the play uh, that are frequently played. I, I eliminated any, any card that was played under 10,000 times just because then you will get all those like rare, weird uh, combination. So the most um, advantage card by, uh, for being on the play is Thundering Raichu, the 4-mana 3-3 three, three haste uh, that puts counters on, on creatures. It's a rare. Uh, that has a 6.4 percentage point advantage uh, uh, from being on the play compared to being on the draw. And then we have a collection of those uh, red cards. We have uh, Ogrehead Helm uh, at 6.2, Lizard Blade at 6.2, Bronze Blade Boar at 5.8. All of those red cards, um, three of them uh, equipments also. Uh, then we have Enthusiastic Mechanot, the blue red, the blue. Blue-red um, signpost uncommon at 5.7. Uh, 
<laughs> then Tempered in Solitude, Simeon Sling, Rainforest Ronin, Sokenzel Smelter, Aki Ronin, Unstoppable Ogre, Peerless Samurai, Experimental Synthesizer, Kumano Faces, Kakazan, and Mnemonic Sphere. Except for Mnemonic Sphere, um, all every single one of those cards, and except for the Enthusiastic Mechanaut, is a red card, basically. Well, technically, uh, Enthusiastic Mechanaut is also a red card, albeit not mono. So it seems like all the cards that get an advantage from being on the play that is particularly large are red aggressive cards because red aggressive decks are the most aggressive decks in the format. So that's not like super uh, surprising, but it's worth noting that uh, it's particularly if you pick a red strategy, you can get actually uh, uh, punished quite a lot by uh, not rolling your dice properly in this format. Now on the other side of the spectrum, we have the uh, most balanced cards in terms of play draw, which means that the difference between being on the play and being on the draw is the closer to zero. And from the cards that were commonly played, there was, I think, only one card that had a really higher win rate on the draw, and that was the uh, the white, black enchantment souls, sisters call or something, the, the one that can reanimate things and you can sacrifice creature to re reanimate something from your graveyard. That was a card that actually had a higher win rate on the draw, but that was the only one. Uh, but from the ones that were played over 10,000 times, Gloom Shrieker is the card that uh, doesn't care about being on the play and on the draw, and actually there might be a good uh, reason for that. You don't really want to um, uh, play it uh, when you have nothing in your graveyard, and being on the draw maybe increases the chance of you having something on the graveyard because the game will last a bit longer. You will have an opportunity of champ blocking and then you can play it on curve or you can play it on turn five and, and you still have a slightly bigger chance of, 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 of having something in your graveyard. Another card, uh, Bamboo Grove Archer, the 3-3-2-2, three, three, two, two, uh, two mana, 3-3 three, three defender uh, that can also destroy a flying creature for its channel cost. And here it's another card that you play it on turn two when you're on the draw and you might actually potentially stop uh, the two and three drops of your opponent from attacking, which increases your chance of surviving uh, till the late game, which also increases the chances that this extra card that you drew is actually going to be the advantage because if it stops opponents from attacking, it's, um, uh, it's going to... Um, it's going to... Um, well, basically... Um, Um, stop the advantage that they have from being on the play. Then we have uh, March of the Wretched Sorrow, um, uh, the Black March. This is another card that can kill early attackers and gain you some life cushions so that you can survive till this late game where your card advantage on the draw is going to make um, uh, some, uh, uh, some, some, some bonus. But you have to still keep that even, even those cards are still uh, having a higher win rate when you're on the play. So the... the, the uh, Disadvantage is small of roughly one percentage point, but it's still there. And in other cards, we have Spinning Wheel Kick, uh, Soul Transferred, Tamiyo Completed Sage, uh, Naomi Pillar of Order, Azusa's Money's Journeys, which was the inspiration for me for making this analysis, Fang of Shigeki, another like a cheap blocker that can um, um, uh, that can stop at, uh, attacks because uh, opponent might not want to lose a creature. There is a jungle hollow, which um, someone, oh, Akil actually noticed that it is a land, but you have to keep in mind, we're looking um, at the stats of the card in a deck, which means that 
the result of each individual card is going to be impacted by um, the results of other cards that were in this deck. Jungle Hollow is going to be frequently in the black-green decks. And we know that uh, black-green decks are naturally having the uh, smallest difference between being on the play and being on the draw. So <clears throat> the result of the Jungle Hollow is most likely linked to the fact that uh, black-green decks just don't have a big advantage of being on the play or big disadvantage of being on the draw. Depends how you look on it. Uh, what else do we have? Well, Geothermal Kami, Generous Visitor. That's another thing that can drop on, uh, on the board early and, and maybe stop your opponent from attacking or maybe uh, force them to use removal early rather than playing a threat, which prolongs the game to a um, um, slightly longer um, game. And we have Season of Renewal and Long Reach of Night as well. Hi, Eagle. I'll see you on Saturday, I hope. Um... Okay, so I did this analysis and then I started thinking about uh, whether I can use it for something more. So can we actually figure out if a deck that we're playing is better on the draw by using this data? And, um, and then my thought was, okay, so maybe if, you know, like not single one of those uh, cards that I just mentioned in the previous slide from Gloom Shuriker to the Long Reach of the Night has a better win rate on the draw than on the play. But maybe if you have a right density of those cards, um, the decks will do better on the draw than on the play. So I did a simple test. I basically made an artificial cutoff and of course that can be improved. Um, uh, you know, there's always arbitrary cutoffs that you're making in those types of analyses. Uh, but I decided to test what are the win rates of decks with varying number of cards um, uh, that have a delta. Uh, so the difference between the win rate on the play and on the draw smaller than uh, two percentage points. So it will be all the cards from the previous graph plus a couple of others that, that, that just got to two percentage points. I just picked two percentage points because it's an even number and people tend to like even numbers. Um, so obviously, so, so the general idea is that if I have zero cards that are in this bracket of um, one percentage points to two percentage points uh, advantage of being on the play, uh, I should have much higher win rate on the play than on the draw. If I have like 15 cards from this bracket, I should be actually maybe um, advantaged when I'm on the uh, draw than, rather than being on the play. And that's exactly what I did. So as you can see, if you have zero of those uh, balanced, as I call them, cards, um, uh, your win rate on the play is 58% and your win rate on the draw is 52%. So quite a big difference of six percentage points. But the more of those uh, balanced cards you get in your deck, the smaller the difference becomes. If we go to five of them, uh, the win rate on the draw is around 53%. The win rate on the play is around 57%. So we only have four percentage points uh, difference. Then if you go to 10, uh, we have around two and a half percentage point difference. If you have 11, it drops down to maybe one percentage point difference because uh, your win rate um, on the draw increases quite vastly when you have many of those balanced cards, uh, up to 55%. And 
at number 12, it sort of becomes equal. So uh, the win rate on the play and on the draw when you have 12, 13, 14, and 15 um, of those uh, balanced cards that have a small individual difference on the um, on the uh, on the play and on the draw win rates, uh, uh, there is no difference between those win rates. So basically, I can say that if you have like 12 to 15 of the cards that have a very small difference uh, between being on the play and on the draw, it doesn't matter if you're on the play or on the draw. And it becomes more important, interesting when you when you cross over 16, because then you actually become quite uh, quite advantage uh, for being on the draw. To the point where uh, decks that had 19 of those balanced cards, they have a 63% win rate on the draw and only 60% um, uh, win rate on the play. Now, mind, these are smaller sample sizes, so there will be some variation there. But they are not minuscule sample sizes. There's I, I took uh, only the cases when there was at least 10, uh, 1,000 games uh, yeah, for the point. So we're still talking about thousands of games here when uh, you had advantage while being on the draw. And more importantly, there is a sort of way of predicting whether your deck would be the one that would have an advantage on the draw or not based on the density of those balanced cards. So the interesting part of that is that um, this is of course based on the best of one data, but I would be curious to revisit this analysis using best of three data it might be a way of figuring out whether your deck prefers to be on the draw when you play best of three. And it's a big difference when you can actually always get uh, the result that you want. So if your deck is advantaged by being on the draw, usually your opponent will choose to be on the play because that's the heuristic. So they will give you for free the thing that you are going to prefer. And also you can pick to be on the draw which is also good for you because you know that your deck is uh, designed in a way of, um, um, uh, of monetizing on that advantage. So I did like basic summing up. And um, if you count the number of games that are in this sector where, um, where you are even or advantage for being on the draw, um, it's around 13.5% of the all games. Um, so, um, so basically, well, what is it? 13% that's what, uh, one seventh, one seventh of the, uh, of the decks, uh, are advantaged, uh, uh, or at least not disadvantaged for being on the draw. Um, and yeah, in best of three, this, this can be a pretty useful tool. I would just need to like re-look re at the analysis, uh, looking at the data only from the best of Three. Uh, it still means that um, uh, eighty-seven percent or eighty-six point five percent of the decks are um, advantage being on the play. So your heuristic is quite robust. You know, you get over eighty-five percent of the game uh, of the decks where uh, where you want to uh, just blindly choose to be on the play. But it's good to know that uh, there might be decks that will be uh, particularly good when uh, uh, it's the opponent that goes first. Uh, and hopefully for the next set, I can sort of tune this analysis a bit and make it more um, custom made for best of three. This time, as, as, as usually it is with my analysis, I had no idea what results I'm going to find. Um, and because I had no idea what results I'm going to find, and obviously because I lead a 
relatively busy life. Um, uh, I don't, I, I, I can't prepare them like weeks in advance, those analyses. So that was uh, uh, yesterday night when I did it, I just said, okay, I, I got till there. That's as far as I can get because digging deeper would require a whole new analysis. And I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather leave it for the next set possibly. Uh, but at least it shows quite a lot of promise because it is not that something that, you know, I plotted the graph and I, then I retrofitted hypothesis. I started with the hypothesis and then uh, I looked um, uh, at the data and the data sort of confirmed my hypothesis and with some promising results in terms of predicting where you should be on the uh, player on the draw. Now, this is the end of the uh, uh, general data analysis, but um, I'm doing at least one specific card focused uh, bit um, uh, in, in, in the recent seminars. And for this week, I chose uh, Azusa's Managed Journey, the uh, two mana saga. The chapter one, you may play an additional land. Chapter two, gain free life. And chapter three, it becomes a three, three creature. Um, so I picked this card because sometimes an idea starts with one card in theory. And basically this whole episode was based on me sitting and thinking like, you know what, Azusa's Many Journeys is a sort of a card that might be better on the draw because I played that card quite some few times and it happened to me several times that I started my hand um, with uh, Azusa's Many Journeys and two lands in my hand and I never drew the third land so I never got the advantage of the uh, chapter one from it. I couldn't play this additional land because I just didn't have it. And it struck me that you know, when I'm on the draw, I have one extra card, so I have one extra chance of getting that third land to ramp myself and then maybe draw a fourth land and and um, and, and, and get the f accrue a full advantage from, uh, from playing the card. So then I also thought, actually, when you play it on the draw and um, you manage to get that extra land, on your turn three, you can play a four drop, which sort of catches up on this whole tempo and the resource advantage that people get from uh, being on the play. So... This led me to the question, are there more cards like it? And this led me to the analysis um, of uh, the differences in the win rate between, uh, uh, between, um, between being on the play and being on the draw. And when we go back to the best cards um, uh, on this list, Azusa's Managed Journeys is like uh, one of the top uh, 10 cards that are having the smallest difference between being on the play and on the draw. I actually, you know, some of them I didn't predict. I didn't imagine that Tamiyo and Naomi are so good in, 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 in bridging that gap, uh, but they seem to be. I didn't think about soul transfer at all because it's a rare and that's not even in my head. Same with March of Wretched Sorrow. Uh, but I could imagine that Bamboo Grove Archer and Gloom Shrieker are the kind of cards that will be actually sort of um, as good on the players as they are on the draw. And that means that Azusa's Manage Journeys were sort of confirmed that uh, my theoretical ramblings about the card uh, proved to be quite correct. But um, this led to the question, are there more cards like it? And this led to the idea of testing, is the density of the cards that are quite close um, uh, in terms of win rates on the player, on the draw, um, does it uh, impact your uh, win rate when you're on the player or when you're on the draw? And as you saw in the previous graph, it does and from this density data, you can come up with the ideas if your deck should be choosing to start on the play or on the draw. Uh, 
And then of course, since Azusa's managed journey was the card that started this idea, I decided to check if having multiple copies of Azusa's managed journeys um, is something that will impact your win rate on the player on the draw. Um, and that again comes from the idea that if I have multiple copies of Azusa's managed journeys, I will have a higher chance of having it in my opening hand. Um, and then if I have it in my opening hand while being on the draw, I have a better chance of accruing the full uh, benefits of having the card in my deck. So Akil is asking, when it comes to Azusa, did you only look at the decks that were playing 17 lands since playing more lands and maybe being on the draw could increase the win rate of this card? Uh, no, 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 that's exactly what I was thinking. I didn't normalize it for the number of uh, lands in the deck. Uh, I didn't look at that parameter, but um, I don't think that it was needed for this particular analysis. I do think that there might be something in there, um, um, but I actually honestly honestly didn't look at it um, yeah, from that perspective. It would be nice to look at it. I will definitely do it. <clears throat> but um, if you have one copy of Azusa's Money's Journeys, uh, you have around 55% on the play and 53.5% um, uh, on the draw, so there's a slight advantage of being on the play. With two copies, it becomes more or less even, 52.6 to 53. And with three copies, uh, it becomes markedly better um, uh, when you're on the draw. So you get around 50% win rate when you're on the play and 55-ish um, uh, when you're on the draw. So that big difference between. So as predicted, you get a big advantage of being on the draw when you play multiple Azusa's Money's Journeys. And that not only because of the advantage of uh, having Azusa's Money's Journeys in your opening hand and that one extra card that can be a land, but there is also a disadvantage of playing multiples of them and being on the play because even if you get some kind of value from the first one, the second one will probably be um, uh, worthless and there is a big chance that you're going to, you're going to have a second one uh, in that uh, scenario. Um, yeah, and I, uh, I noticed that um, this seems like a good sideboard info for best of three. Um, but okay, today, pleasantly short, which is great because I um, promised myself I'm going to make those seminars slightly shorter so I don't kill myself over them. Um, so that's all the data that I have. And um, as always, I would like to thank 17 Lens team, Viral Misnomer, Hululu, Grant Wu. Uh, I would like to thank Fake Jake Brown, who is helping me with um, releasing this in the form of the podcast. And for those of you that listen to it as a podcast, uh, also big thanks to Esescu and Mana Junkie for the music that they provided. And with that, I'll see you next week. And by the way, next week is going to be one of the funnest episodes that I will ever have recorded. And I can promise you already that it's going to be awesome, mainly because we have a special guest involved. Uh, and I will keep it under wraps who that is. And with that, see you next week.